Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Before we start this morning, I want to take a moment and give a happy birthday shout-out to Isaiah Walter, one of the children at our church. At Valley View, when we know it's someone's birthday on a Sunday, our congregation takes a moment to sing Happy Birthday. Sometimes we don't see how much these little things mean to people. What's the impact of singing a happy birthday song? Well, Isaiah has watched us sing happy birthday to many people over the years, and several months ago he realized that his birthday was on a Sunday this year, this Sunday in fact, and he has been excited ever since. Of course, we didn't plan on a stay-at-home order here in Ohio. Well, Isaiah, we've not forgotten you. In fact, your birthday well wishes are getting a permanent home here on this podcast and on Facebook as long as the world is willing to keep a digital record. So happy birthday. Celebrate. Go nuts. But don't be too hard on your sisters, little man. Okay, let's pray. Almighty God, you are the maker of heaven and earth. You have authority over all that happens in creation. Help us this day to trust your sovereignty. When we are tempted to choose anger, frustration, or despair over our circumstances, help us to see that in your hand rests all things. Speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I didn't ask for this. This is not what I signed up for. Perhaps this is a thought that's crossed your mind or escaped your lips over the last few weeks. Whether you said this because of the coronavirus or because of some other unexpected turn in your life, know this, you are not alone. I think many of us are hoping that we'll wake up tomorrow and that we'll see that this is all over and that life will go back to the way it used to be. And I cannot promise that. When you want to scream out, I didn't ask for this, know that in that moment, You need to reach out to God. God can handle your frustrations, and God alone has the relief that you need. We humans are independent and innovative creatures. We are highly skilled at making our own way. And making our own way, while wonderful, it's not enough. And to help others, while wonderful, is not enough. True relief is found only when we reach out to God. When life does not play by the rules, we must decide whether or not to reach out for God. And we reach out to God by recognizing His sovereignty, by joining in His work, by practicing forgiveness, and holding tight to the promises of God. Today I want to share from the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. In Joseph we find a man who experienced tremendous hardship and tremendous triumph. He's definitely a person that can say, I didn't ask for this. Here's a quick breakdown of his story. It's it's a long story. We're not going to read the whole story today, so I want to give just a quick summary of it to kind of get it in your mind. There's a man named Jacob, and he had 12 sons. He loved the 11th son, Joseph, the most, and favored him above all of his other sons. This angered the other sons, and they plotted to kill their brother Joseph. But instead of killing Joseph, they sold him into slavery, and he was taken to Egypt. Joseph served his Egyptian master well, and he rose into prominence in that household. One day, false accusations were made against Joseph, and he was placed into prison. And while in prison, Joseph served well there, and he rose into prominence there, and was even managing part of the prison. 
By God's power, Joseph interpreted the dreams of two prisoners who were from the service of Pharaoh. Later, one of the servants brought Joseph to the attention of Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was having troubling dreams, and Joseph was brought in to interpret those dreams. And those dreams predicted there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Pharaoh, hearing the interpretation, put Joseph in charge of the nation for preparing for the famine. Joseph found himself second in command of Egypt. When famine struck, Egypt was ready. And when famine struck, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for food. They did not know Joseph was in Egypt, let alone second in command. After their reunion, Joseph had them bring the whole family to Egypt to reside until God would someday lead them to, home to the promised land. It would be a good exercise this week, if you'd be willing, to take time and read the story of Joseph. His story does span a larger block of scripture. You can find it in Genesis, beginning in chapter 37, and it reads all the way to Genesis chapter 50, the end of the book. I would suggest you skip Genesis 38. That's a strange story that interrupts Joseph's story, and it's a particular story that has puzzled Bible scholars as long as it's been in the Bible, so forever. So skip Genesis 38, but read Genesis 37 through 50. And as you read the story, you can make a note of the different characters and how they respond to each of the unexpected turns of events. More importantly, make notes on how God moves and works through the whole story. Make notes that talk about God's sovereignty. But let's begin by going into a little more detail and reading part of Joseph's story. So let's go to Genesis 37 verses 1 through 4. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph, that is Jacob, that's Israel's his other name. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made for him an ornate robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now I want to stop here. You have the father, Jacob, and his twelve sons, one of whom Jacob favors above the rest. Now, you might have just heard this story and thought, Joseph is a snitch. He, he tattles on his brothers, and, and you're right. He gave a bad report to his father on his other eleven brothers. And you're not wrong that Joseph is, is snitching on them. He's, he's 17 years old, okay, when the story begins. He's, he's pretty young still, and he's like a lot of teenagers. He's got a lot to learn. He hasn't learned how to tactfully approach others. And like most young people, I suspect he feels a bit invincible, that the world is open for his adventure. Joseph is not an innocent party, but much of what happens to him is not his own making. Joseph can most definitely say, I didn't ask for this. Now Joseph receives special treatment from his father, Jacob, and he is loved more than the other sons, and he receives a special coat that sets him apart from his brothers. 
And here's where I'd like to point out that Joseph is not the only character in the story who has to deal with life not turning out the way it's supposed to, not the way they planned. In the ancient world, the firstborn son is to take the prime spot. The firstborn son carries on the family line, and the order of importance then proceeds to the nextborn son, and the next one down the line. In the grand scheme of things, if you were number 11, you were just about nobody. But in Jacob's house, number 11, Joseph, received the most love, and he was set apart from the other sons. They could see, clearly see who favored who the favored son was, Joseph. And this was not how it was supposed to be. So we have the brothers, and they are a group of characters that have to deal with life not working out the way it's supposed to, and they react in a horrible way. Verse 4 tells us that they hated Joseph, and they could not speak a kind word to him. The brothers were jealous, and jealousy consumed them. Jealousy is the fear that Someone else will receive what you deserve. And jealousy is deadly. There's a fable of an eagle that could outfly another eagle. And that other eagle didn't like it. So that eagle that was the one that couldn't fly as far as the other one, one day saw a sportsman and said to him, I wish you could bring down that eagle. And the sportsman replied that he would if he only had some feathers to put it into, a, into an arrow. So the eagle pulled out one of his wing feathers. The arrow was shot, but it didn't quite reach that high-flying rival eagle. He was too high in the air. The envious eagle pulled one more of the feathers, and he kept pulling them out until he lost so many feathers that he couldn't fly. Then the sportsman turned around and killed the eagle. My friend, if you are jealous, the only person you can hurt is yourself. As you read the story of Joseph, you find that the brothers' jealousy is very dangerous. The brothers try to murder Joseph, but instead they sell him into slavery. And this act brings a lifetime of grief upon their father. Later in the story, the brothers, when they're seeking help, because they're in famine and they need help, they, they wonder if their actions towards Joseph still haunt them. Actions that from years ago still bother them. Their jealousy creates a lifetime of struggle. So we have Joseph's brothers. Life didn't go their way. And they respond with jealousy and hate. Then you have another character. Jacob, the father. The father was has quite a reaction to the loss of his son Joseph. And it's entirely understandable. And I think any parent can understand the deep grief that Jacob experiences, but there's something rather hopeless in Jacob's words. He says, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. Now, I'm not saying that Jacob should get over the loss of Joseph and move on. Any parent would feel that loss for the rest of their life. But Jacob is saying that he will not be satisfied until he is dead too. Life did not turn out the way it was supposed to, and Jacob chooses despair. The actual words of the text can be found in Genesis uh, 37, beginning in verse 31, talking about the brothers. They got Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe, the robe in blood. And they took the ornate robe back to the father and said, We found this. Examine it and see whether or not it's your son's robe. 
and he recognized it and said, This is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Jacob, when faced with life not turning out the way he wanted, chose despair. Now, it's understandable that he was grieved, but despair is not the correct choice. Another character I want to mention this morning, uh, a smaller character in the story of Joseph, maybe one that a lot of people don't think about, is the character of the cupbearer. He's one of the smaller characters in the story, and he's a character that, if you really look at him, he only reacts to the immediate, what's happening right now. He seems to have very little ability to remember the past or to hope for the future. We first encounter the cupbearer in Genesis chapter 40. He and the baker have been imprisoned by Pharaoh. Both have dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams. One is good and one not so good. The cupbearer will live and the baker will die. Joseph asks that the cupbearer remember him to Pharaoh. The cupbearer the cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh's court, and the text tells us in Genesis 40, verse 23, that the chief cupbearer, cup, cup I can't say this very well, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. So he forgot. Later, when Pharaoh was having his own dreams and was troubled by them, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Two years have passed, two long years with Joseph in prison. The cupbearer lives without remembering the past, and with little hope for the future. And similarly, we need to be careful that we do not place our hope in the moment that we find ourselves in right now. We must remember what we have gone through and what God has done in the past, and we must look forward to the future with hope and on the promises of God. If you have put your trust in Jesus, the hope for the future is very bright. Now there's another way to look at this too. There are certain people who seem to only grab for God's mercy when they're in a bit of danger right now. And then when the danger passes, they forget about God. Don't be like that person. The cupbearer is kind of like that. In the moment, they grab onto whatever they can right now. And then when the danger passes, the cupbearer, he just forgets and he goes on with life. We can't do that. It's not healthy for us to only reach out for God when danger is in our face right now. We must learn how to hold on to him for the future and how to remember what he's done in the past. Past. Don't just look at the moment right now to make a decision about who God is. Well, I do want to move on to the main character of the story, Joseph. He's the hero. He is the one who goes on a long journey of suffering and he all, that, that also and that journey of suffering ultimately results in the salvation of his people. He does not choose despair or jealousy. He doesn't get just stuck in the moment of right now. Joseph, in all situations, reaches out to God. And he reaches out in a few particular ways that I want to highlight. The ways that we need to remember. The first is this. Joseph knows at all times that God is sovereign. Remember those phrases? I didn't ask for this. Life wasn't supposed to turn out this way. 
We might say these phrases during times of distress, bad news, or grief, but really when we say them, we're saying that life is not playing by my rules. And there's a big difference between life not working out how we planned and understanding that all life happens under the hand of God. God does not wish for us to struggle, for us to feel pain or sorrow, but when life spins out of control, it still answers to Him. Knowing this makes all the difference when we face hardship. No matter what happens, God is sovereign. No matter what happens, God is in control. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 reminds of this, us of this in the description of Jesus, who is God, the Son of God, talks about his power and his control. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything is under the power of Christ, under the power of God, holding together through him. Romans 8:28 tells us this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now the text there doesn't say God makes all things good, but he says he uses all things, good or not, to bring about good for those who love him. We need to remember that. This is the difference between Joseph and his brothers and even his father. At no point in Joseph's story does he despair that God has lost control of the situation. From beginning to end, God is working to bless his people. The road is bumpy and full of tragedy, but we might ask, is that because it's what God planned or because how people reacted to life? You could ask the question, did God plan for Joseph to be sold into slavery? Maybe. Maybe he had a different plan for how Joseph was going to rise to power in Egypt. But then you could also ask the question, was Joseph sold into slavery because of his brother's jealousy? Absolutely. Joseph recognizes over and over in the story that God is sovereign. And we need to remember this. At no point in the story does God lose control. And at the end of Joseph's story, he says these words to his brothers. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now you might say that Joseph can say this at the end of his story because he can look back and see how God has used such a strange and dangerous course of events to bring about good. But I say this, Joseph was able to hold on to hope in whatever circumstances because he believed in sovereignty of God. And he understood that no matter what happened to him, he was under the hand of a God who loved him. Whether he was in the hand of a murderous brothers, or a slave, or wrongfully imprisoned, or ruling a nation that was not his own, whether good or bad, his circumstances, he knew he was under the hand of a God who loved him. Wherever you find yourself today, will you believe and trust in the sovereignty of God, that no matter what you're experiencing today, you are under the hand of of a God who loves you, it makes all the difference. So Jacob or Joseph acknowledges God's sovereignty at all times. The second thing that Joseph does is he joins in God's work. Wherever he finds himself, he joins in God's work. This takes two forms. 
First is this, Joseph throws himself fully into whatever work he finds himself in, and he does it for God. So he, he never does anything halfway. It's, he completely throws himself into it, and he does it for God. And the second thing is, is Joseph always gives God full credit in all that he does. So when we read about Joseph being a slave in Potiphar's house, we read these words in Genesis 39, 2-6. It says, The Lord is with Joseph so that he prospered, and he prospered, and he, he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So there we have a picture of Joseph working hard, and he's doing it for God, and God is getting credit for everything that is being done. And then later, when Joseph finds himself in prison, we read these words in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 20 and 23. Because Joseph's master took him and, and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made res responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So again, you have Joseph. He finds himself in a situation where he could simply say, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to sit here. But instead, he throws himself into his work and he gives God the credit. What do you think happened when Joseph came to Pharaoh? You're right. He threw himself into his work completely, and he gave God all the credit. I suspect that Joseph decided to sulk in slavery and sulk in prison. He never would have put, been put second in command over Egypt. Instead, Joseph always gave God credit, and he always served God wholeheartedly. When Joseph is summoned to leave prison and go before Pharaoh, he could have decided to talk himself up. He didn't want to go back to prison, and, and he's like, this is a job interview. I need to get this just right. But instead, instead, he said simply and plainly in Genesis chapter 41, verse 16, when Pharaoh says, I need you to interpret my dreams, Joseph responds and says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What an answer. What a humble answer. This is your way out of prison, Joseph. And Pharaoh wants to let you out of prison so that you can interpret his dreams. And the first thing you say is, I can't do it. But God can. Joseph throws himself wholeheartedly into his work. Wherever he finds himself, he does it for God. And he gives God complete credit. He joins God in his work. In Colossians 3, chapter chapter 3, Verse 17, we read these words, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A third thing that Joseph does to reach out for, 
to God is he practices godly forgiveness. And I think it's important to know that forgiveness is as important for the one doing the forgiving as it is for the one being forgiven. When Joseph wields power over Egypt and his brothers ask for help, not realizing it's Joseph, Joseph tests them and he plays a few jokes on them, but overwhelmingly he treats them with kindness and with love. We can read this in Genesis 45, verses 1-7. through 7. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, and here's where the forgiveness comes. He says, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it is to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on the earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is not the response of a man who holds a grudge, but this is a response of a man who has deeply forgiven his brothers. William Ward says this, Forgiveness is a funny thing. It warms the heart, and it cools the sting. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Not forgiving them is perhaps keeping you from reaching out to God. The last thing I had mentioned about Joseph and how he reaches out to God is that he holds tight to the promises of God. As I see it, Joseph thrived because he believed that God was sovereign, he thrived because he joined wholeheartedly in God's work. And he thrived because he practiced godly forgiveness. But Joseph was able to do this because he believed and held tightly to God's promises. Now, believing in God's promises requires a step of faith. And that step of faith is this, that God is one who keeps his promises. Every time we face hardship, we must decide if God is still keeping his promises or if perhaps the hardship is some sort of sign that God is no, no longer keeping promises. But Joseph believed the promises of God, and he believed that God was going to keep those promises, that he would make them a great nation, and that, that God would have a land for them to call their own. And this belief shows up at the end of Joseph's life. At the end of his life, he's 110 years old. He has lived 93 years of his life in a situation that was not his design or his plan. 93 years of life not turning out the way it was supposed to. Much of it was difficult and much of it was far better than Joseph could have ever imagined. But none of it was in the promised land that Joseph hoped for. But at the end of his life, we find these words in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 through 26. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land 
he promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at an age of a hundred and ten, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a, in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph didn't last, didn't see the last promise fulfilled, but he believed that promise to be true. He even made his family promise to take his bones and bury them in the promised land. That's the picture of a man who holds tightly to the promises of God. Even when he doesn't see them being fulfilled yet, he believes they will be down the road. Can you imagine Joseph, 110 years old, 93 years living in a land not his own, and at his death saying, I'm not to be buried here. Bury me in the promised land, the land I know that God will give us. That is a man clinging to the promises of God. Do you believe in God's promises that deeply? You should. I should. We should believe in his promises that deeply. Here are some of the promises of God from the scripture. From Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29 tells us this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Romans eight thirty seven and 39 tell us this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life, or neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 10.9, a promise you need to know. It's simple. It says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the promise of eternal life. For anybody who does not know Jesus, Romans 10.9 is the promise you need to hear. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're bringing our time to an end. And you might hear that phrase again, I didn't ask for this. And none of us have asked for these hard times. But today we find ourselves in a time we never expected. I've seen floating around on social media a quote from Lord of the Rings. And I think Tolkien, in the author of Lord of the Rings, captured this dilemma well. It starts with Frodo and he's saying, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And then the mentor figure, Gandalf, replies to him and says, So do all who live in such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we do with the time that is given us. Now, we may not have been able to choose the times we live in, but we can certainly choose how we face them. Be a person who faces the day by reaching out to God. Believe in his sovereignty, join in his work, forgive others in a godly way, and hold deeply to the promises of God. Go with Jesus.